2: It was when you came on your official visit They played like the old school movie With the four horsemen And
1: uh, the old school Notre Dame And you got the And there's a now that's a follow-up question, Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question right there.
2: If you can be physical and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man,
0: it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll that always be the same. Well, I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you're probably cost me around a drink.
2: From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler
1: James and Eric Hansen.
2: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold, and ND Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for Andy Insider and the South Bend Tribune. Notre Dame cruised to a 34-6 victory over Navy last Saturday after a slow start. The Irish likely won't have that same luxury um, against uh, Virginia on Saturday and its high-powered offense. To talk a little bit about the Cavaliers, um, a strange year in the ACC and, and how Notre Dame has fared so far, we asked Eric McLean of the ACC Network and the Gramlich and McLean podcast to hop on the pot of gold this week. Eric, thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, brother, thanks for having me back. Excited to talk a uh, a little Notre Dame football as you guys are now out of conference. It's super weird. I don't like this, man. I need you guys back in the ACC. <laughs> the ACC has gone haywire without Notre Dame this season, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> That's the headliner. That's the headliner. Right? <laughs> Notre Dame leaves and everything just goes to shambles. It's unbelievable. <laughs>
2: Eric, I I wanted to start with, with Notre Dame specifically, you've seen Notre Dame play against ACC teams sporadically throughout the season, starting with the season opener at Florida state. What has impressed you about how this Notre Dame team has sort of evolved in the weeks since the beginning of the season?
1: Yeah, really, man. The, the offensive line play is about 180 degrees different from that first couple of games that we saw them those first couple of weeks. I mean, they, they couldn't get any movement. Uh, they couldn't protect Jack at all. Um, and really just were a shell of who they are now. I mean, they look like this dominant force that has really come out of nowhere. And I think that, you know, you see these guys able to, to sustain blocks and drive guys off the ball and, you know, just protecting Jack so much better. If, if my memory serves, I have their little – their stats pulled up right here. If my memory serves correct, when they were playing Virginia Tech, Jack had been sacked like 18 or 19 times. Since then, he's only been sacked six more times. It's incredible to see the turnaround that those guys up front specifically have been able to do. And I think that that is, you know, kind of spread throughout the team. And, you know, we're seeing the great success, Kyron Williams, for whatever reason. Well, I know what the reason was. The offensive line couldn't move anybody, but just couldn't get going. And now, man, these last couple of games, he's had some just freaky, freaky runs and things that you expect to see from him. And, I'm just excited to have uh, those big uglies back and, and Kyron doing his thing.
0: Speaking of the big uglies and you having played on the line before, um, I wondered if you've had much of a chance to watch Joe Alt, the freshman left tackle who came in in the Virginia Tech game and has been a starter since. And, and how difficult is it to do what he's doing as a true freshman especially a kid that played tight end most of his high school career. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. Anytime that that you are called upon to, to be the guy at left tackle, it doesn't matter how old you are. It, it's a tough deal. And then to put on the fact that, you know, he's an 18 year old kid, a freshman and, and doing it flawlessly is uh, it, it's just super impressive. And, you know, ironically enough, my senior year, we dealt with a very similar thing. Uh, we, we had a left tackle who, you know, just was making noise in, in spring ball and spring balling in camp. Who was a true freshman, and you know, we said, okay, we think this guy's going to start. And, and you know, you have to kind of you know baby him along a little bit, and hopefully they have an experienced guy beside him that can bring him along. But man, he's playing so well, and, and honestly, going to be the next superstar. Uh, you know, for Notre Dame, for this offensive line, it's been amazing to see. You know, just him get more comfortable and his progression, and I think that you know his play is another kind of direct correlation with how we've seen Notre Dame really, you know, have an uptick in this offensive performance. Eric, can you quantify
2: or qualify how, how difficult it is to get that kind of offensive line improvement that Notre Dame has gotten since the beginning of the year to now? Is that, is that a natural progression of things or is that how difficult is that to, to see so, such a stark difference between the beginning of the season and now?
1: Yeah, Tyler, you know, it's funny as Jordan Cornette and I were going back and forth about this and, and he said, well, you know, wouldn't you expect a bunch of, you know, four star, five star guys to, you know, kind of figure it out in the middle of the season? I said, no, this is nuts. I mean, it's crazy to see how they've done it and the turnaround that they have, especially how drastic it is. I mean, it, it was a problem, uh, you know, at the beginning of the season and the weakest part of the team. And now it's come together and is one of the strongest. And so. I don't think it's normal. Uh, you know, maybe the guys just got tired of getting, you know, chewed out and cussed out every meeting, and uh, they, they galvanized them quickly, and they came together and said, let's figure this thing out. But, I mean, it truly is shocking. It really is not one of those positions where, man, it's just a mental block, man. I just got to practice a little harder, and, you know, I'll catch the ball better. I'll throw the ball better. It's, it's a tough one. And, and amazing kudos to this offensive line, the coaching staff, getting these guys going in the right direction in a very positive manner.
0: Before we zone in on Virginia, I want to kind of look at the big picture in the ACC. I was trying to figure out today who was going to play in the ACC championship Uh-oh, game. Oh, be careful. That's dangerous. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and the thing <laughs> was, I thought, you know what? Clemson's not out of this. No. And Miami's not out of this. It It's weird. Who do you think, who's going to be playing for the championship game, do you think?
1: I mean, could you imagine if somehow those two end up in the ACC? It would be just the most bizarre thing. It would be the most ACC
0: thing ever.
1: That's right. That's right. It would be. It absolutely would be. And, you know, Clemson clearly has a little bit of an an easier chance. They don't need as many things to happen as maybe Miami does. Um, But it's not out of the question. I I think if you ask me, you know, right now, if – You know, the the season plays out who I think. I think NC State has a really good shot at the Atlantic side. They're they're just playing really good football as a team. And and the only reason I even say that is just because the Wake Forest Demon Deacon, their defense is just – they're struggling right now. And and they really are. And and you see the run game specifically, they can't stop anybody. And and so it's going to be interesting to see. They have State this weekend. That's pretty much a play-in game for Charlotte. Uh, so that's always fun to happen there. And then on the the coastal side, um, you know, Virginia and Pitt kind of in the driver's seat because they play each other. And so if Virginia wins that game on November 20th, you know, that they, they now are in first place and they have a tiebreaker over Pitt. So it's going to be interesting to see. I think Pitt comes out of the coastal. Kenny Pickett is just playing at another level and looks really, really good. And, uh, you know, I think he continues to dominate for the rest of this year.
0: Well, that whole Virginia thing is interesting to me because we would, I, I mean, I'm always of the opinion that I don't have to play against it, but I always want the team I'm covering to have to play the most difficult version of. So I would not want to see Brendan Armstrong set out this game because I want to see right. him play. Right. But if you're Virginia and he's not 70%, do you really want to risk that in a non-conference game when you have a chance to get to Charlotte? Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be
1: very interesting to see. And, and I'll tell you what makes it even more uh, kind of not head scratching, but something to pay attention to. I, I feel like Virginia and their coaching staff and that athletic department have been tweeting so much about Brennan these last couple of days that it would almost be silly if he doesn't play. It's like, OK, what, <laughs> what are we doing all this? hype train about, but I haven't heard anything. I haven't seen anything. And of course, I mean, they're going to keep it so tight to their chest. I'm sure they won't even tell the game announcers uh, until, you know, they absolutely have to, or if they even do, they'll just figure it out. But it's something to certainly ponder. I mean, it's something to certainly look at. I mean, what is really this game worth on on the national level? Sure, respect. But, you know, when you have so many conference goals that are still in front of you, why would you want to risk you know potential injury or potential worsening an injury to your quarterback when, when you have really important you know ACC games coming up. So Eric, it's going to be fascinating to see uh you know what they decide to do and and honestly where his health is. So hopefully more of that will will come out and we can you know kind of talk about it in more depth, but right now it's just such a guessing game. Eric, what I
2: think we're sort of operating operating under the assumption that he will he will play for, for Virginia. Um, if he does play, what is the key to slowing that Virginia offense down with him at quarterback?
1: Yeah. Uh, good luck figuring that out. No one else has. <laughs> I mean, they're just, they're so unique and they're so different because they present so many problems to you. And when you ask, even, you know, their coaching staff and, and coach, uh, you know, Mendenhall there and Coach Robin and I, the offensive coordinator, you know, I joke with them all the time and say, what do y'all call this? What, what is this offense? And they have no clue. They don't have any idea. And they they think that that is a strength or they see that as a strength because, you know, how can you defend something you, you can't even name? And so I've kind of named it myself. It, it is backyard air raid. That, that's what it is, uh, that they will line up in all kind of crazy ways. They'll have tight ends line up at quarterback for a quarterback sneak. They'll have you know, former quarterbacks who are wide receivers or tight end or running back lineup all over the place. I mean, it's it's truly amazing to watch how these guys function, and how they're able to do the things that they are with such great success. And, and it starts with Brennan. You know, their run game has been, you know, pretty much obsolete to this point without him running it. And, and you know, he's been injured, you know, that knee for, for at least half the year anyway. So, you know, he, it, it's truly a, a aired out offense, an aired out passing attack. And you know Brennan has been exceptional, getting the ball to a bunch of different guys, and, and these guys just creating and you know really getting one-on-one matchups that they love, and then taking advantage of it.
0: Do you think that Brennan is as good as Sam Howell? I love the question.
1: Um, I think they're so different. I think that when you look at when you look at directly to pro, I think Sam's going to be better. But I think Brennan's a dang good college player. I mean, he he's exceptional, as I've been saying. And and you know, what what would Sam's numbers look like if he threw the ball 406 times? I mean, I, I have to I have to think that they would be close to this. Um, so it's hard to say better, just because I think they are so different. I think the two of them are some of the best in the country. So I, if that answers your question, I think the ACC in general has more talent at quarterback than any conference. Maybe even a couple of conferences yeah. combined. Maybe these guys are just playing at such a high level at the QB position.
0: Yeah, pick it. and he, I like the Van Dyke kid at Miami. Oh I my didn't gosh. expect that. Yeah, yeah that guy's going to be a future
1: star. If if we all thought that the Miami hype train preseason was bad this year, it's going to be unreal <laughs> in 22. Just get ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an annual cycle. It always starts. Right. Just <laughs> multiply it by 10 for this coming one because they finally have a quarterback that can just sling it like crazy.
2: Eric, what 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 do you think Virginia does to protect Brendan Armstrong differently if he is playing with this rib issue? Do you think they have to think about a different game plan? Because, I mean, he does sort of expose himself quite a bit with the way he plays. Do you think they have to change their game plan in any way, given his rib situation?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think it will be very similar to what we've seen from them for the first half, you know, really these last – maybe two games is when I think the full offense was unlocked. You know, we saw him running the ball like crazy, had a couple of, you know, 90 plus right at a hundred yards rushing. We hadn't really seen that all year and it'll probably be similar to that. I mean, you you might see more max pro. You might see a tight end guaranteed chip. I mean, Foskey bless his heart. He's going to be getting hit by two or three guys per play. I mean, they're going to know where that young man, man is at all times. And, you know, the, the interesting thing, too, is Virginia does a really good job of protecting him. I know we see that sack number and it's 20 plus and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, you know, he gets hit so much. But when you look at how much he throws it, it's a very small percentage. It, it's, uh-huh. it's all skewed. I mean, the, the, these numbers are, are just bizarre. And so Virginia does a really good job at, at protecting him. But I guarantee that, you know, Notre Dame's going to want to hit him and want to hit him over and over.
0: Okay, let's flip it to the defense. And Brian Kelly, in his opening statement, started talking about it at 3-3-5. And he was not great at disguising that they haven't played well. I mean, he, he tried. He's like, you got to be very specific about what you're doing against it. And you're like, Brian, they're 122nd in the country in total defense. I think you just run the ball against them, don't you? But, I mean, w- w- what's going on with their defense When I remember Bronco from BYU, they were always pretty stout defensively. So this is odd.
1: Yeah, no, it is. And I think that that's just really these last two years. You know, a year ago, it was they couldn't defend the pass at all. Um, and, And then this year, they for sure can't stop the run. And honestly they they're not great at defending the pass at all either so defense is is optional for virginia at this point uh the biggest deal is can you score as many points as as they can can you take advantage of you know not turning the ball over not giving them anything extra uh cuz if you do they're just going to keep scoring and you know i think that's what we have seen in their losses this year especially against BYU where man, they could not stop anybody. And it was very poor tackling. Uh, We, we saw a young man at running back just obliterate guys time and time again and, you know, really have no shot. Honestly, a little embarrassing effort from the defense. So they're going to see a very similar beast uh in Kyron Williams and going to have to step up, you know, do something uh to, to try to slow this man down. So, you know, are they able to do that? We haven't really seen it all year. So maybe this is, you know, a, a decent, you know, opportunity for them on the national level, ABC and all that. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet a single thing on that. <laughs> Eric,
2: I wanted to circle the discussion back to the conference. Is a season like this good for the ACC where there's more parity? Obviously, I'm sure yourself, you'd like to see Clemson be at the top as they have been for so long. But do you think that this helps the conference in any way where it, it seems like everyone's sort of at the same level, sort of competing for the title this year?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I, people have asked me this before. I do not think that Clemson being down is good for the ACC. Right. I do think that other people being up is clearly good for the ACC. And and if it's something that can be more consistent, I mean, could you imagine if you look at the Atlantic side and you have undefeated, you know, wake one lost NC state undefeated Clemson. And on the other side, you know, a couple of one and two lost teams, it'd be fantastic. And, and so Unfortunately, Clemson happened to be the you know sacrificial lamb to some of these guys, so they have the record that they do. But you know, I, I think it's it's fun. I think it is good. You know, for other teams to continue to step up. You know, I, I think mostly when you look at brands, you look at these you know big time logos and blue bloods and teams that you know people okay we, we recognize that. So Florida State has to continue to to get better, and, and they were awful to start the season. Found kind of lightning in a bottle, and now are back to kind of regressing Miami has completely turned their season around. I mean, you look at who they play. I mean, number two, Alabama, number one at the time uh, they just, they just, uh, you know, ranked uh, Michigan state number three in the country. They played those guys tight. So, I mean, they had a hellacious start to the year, uh, but have really turned things around. So I think if those two can continue to rise, you know, the conference will be in a much better place. It certainly doesn't help you when a team like North Carolina, who, so many people maybe had in playoff situations, certainly ACC championship just, you know, is, is five and four and, and, you know, very subpar season expectation wise, but you know, other people rising up, I think is good. And and so certainly needs to be that national staying power that is right now Clemson that, you know, needs to remain towards the top, if not at the top and then everyone else kind of, you know, the the boats rise with the water. So that's, that's where that needs to get.
0: Notre Dame, the next couple of seasons, play Clemson and Ohio State both in the regular season. Bless your heart. So (laughs) I think uh, Notre Dame fans are kind of eager to see, do you think this is a one-year blip for Clemson? Are we going to see when they go down and try to invade the smoking pig next year, are they (laughs) going to see vintage Clemson next year?
1: You know, it's going to be interesting, you know, to, to see where this team goes. They've been so affected by injury. They've been affected by, you know, a quarterback that, that you know, lit the college football world on fire for two games when he came in and, and I mean, played unbelievable against you guys. Set a passing record for all time, I believe yards, whether that was by a freshman or, or by any quarterback. That was by an opponent. Yeah, nuts yeah. to see what he was able to do. And then, you know, just mentally this year, I think a lot of pressure being – you know, pretty much deemed the guy uh by Dr. Pepper. He was the face of college football on this big national brand. He was the Heisman favorite. Uh all this external noise that, you know, I don't think that he's really felt any pressure like that ever before in his life. I don't think he's faced any adversity with being uh, you know, a two-lost team ever in his life. So all this stuff is kind of hitting him in the face. And, you know, he's just trying to figure it out. And then of course it spreads throughout the team. You've got Wide receiver's not blocking on the edge. Wide receiver's dropping passes when he finally does, you know, throw a good ball in, in the, you know, disarray on the offensive line. It's, it's probably been a couple of years now that you could pick and prod at that unit up front. But, you know, these guys right now just really, really struggling uh, to, to, you know, get anything going consistently up front that first five and, and then all the injuries, as I mentioned, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. You look at the star power that has been wiped out Uh, by injuries. It's been nuts. So do I expect Clemson to be right back, you know, contending for championships next year, of course. Um, And and they have some stars coming in. So if, you know, quarterback play doesn't improve uh, there'll be another guy in the wing ready and ready and uh, you know, waiting to try and take that job.
2: Eric, given, given the benefit of hindsight, did did you anticipate, were there any signs that a season like this could have
1: happened for Clemson? Hell no. I'm not, I don't know if you guys can cuss on this. I'm sorry, but no, no shot. I mean, there was, there was, I mean. We've had Aaron
0: Taylor on here. so there's Okay, so cussing. I'm good. I'm good.
1: <laughs> there you go. Um, no, no, no shot. I mean, you look at the, you look at the guys coming back, you look at the defense. I knew that they were going to be special and elite and just what we saw from DJ. I mean, why would you expect anything different? Why would you expect him not to keep his level? Of play, at least close to that. I'm not saying he has to throw for 450 every game, but you know, at least the level of competence and and understanding and you know, going through his reads and you know, for whatever reason, that all went backwards. So I, I think that we have truly seen the the value of Trevor Lawrence, the value of Travis Etienne, and a ton of people, not just Clemson fans, but college football folks around the country just took those guys for granted so much. And and now we're seeing truly how impactful that they all, they were. And, you know, some other guys certainly sprinkled throughout that, you know, just all left at the same time. And and so it's definitely strange. And, you know, to, to see this, I don't think anybody, uh, there was no writing on the wall, um, you know, for anybody outside of the program. Now, some of those coaches might've known, uh, but certainly not us.
0: I'll tell you what, before I ask my last question here, I never took, Trevor Lawrence for granted he was amazing to watch from the outside looking in. I mean I just the the hype that he came in with and then it, to exceed that was just amazing right. right. <laughs> um, my last question has to do with Kyle Hamilton who's been injured since the USC game and we're not sh- sure you know Brian Kelly seems to think that he has not played his last game in a Notre Dame uniform. but if you're Kyle Hamilton, there's no risk of further injury at some point. What's going through your head in terms of the dilemma of wanting to be a team player and also wanting to protect your future?
1: Yeah, it's a very tough situation that, that honestly I could not imagine, um, you know, really dealing with. And, and I don't know Kyle's background. I don't know his, you know, family story. And, and if, you know, th- those guys are taken care of and they don't want for anything, I, I don't know. But, you know, if there's any of that at all where, you know, he's got to provide, he's got to do this and that, it's a tough situation to be staring down a potential top five pick, uh, you know, if you leave right now and, and not, you know, further hurt yourself. yeah, you know, I don't think that he has to prove anything to any scout or to any NFL exec or GM or anything of that nature. He is freaky, and he has made plays time and time again that show that I think he's the best defensive player in this draft class. I mean, he, he's got every single tool that you could ever want. Um, but then there's the player side, then there's the competitor side that says, yeah, I want to win a national championship. I want to win a a, a massive game with my guys. And, you know, if this is my last go around, I'm, I'm going to do everything that I can. And so, you know, Notre Dame might be a little outside looking in at this point, but, We've seen crazy things happen, and if this team runs the table, um, I don't think there's any question that they'll be right in the conversation. So I'll never tell Jordan Cornette that, but <laughs> I think they've got a real shot here. So for that young man, uh, certainly a tough thing in front of him, and, man, I, I'm just excited about his future. Got to know his pops a little bit when you guys were in the ACC a year ago and just go back and forth with him a little. Um, but future very bright for Kyle Hamilton, whatever he decides to do. Uh, just a really special young man.
2: Eric, there's a chance that Notre Dame matches up with someone from the ACC in the Peach Bowl at the end of the year. I'm curious, if you if you could choose someone, if you were like the ACC delegate and you could choose, this is our team that can beat Notre Dame, which team would you pick to put in front of Notre Dame in the Peach Bowl?
1: I'd love to see him play Clemson again. Those are always super fun matchups. <laughs> um, I, I'm not sure. You know, the Peach Bowl, I saw something, maybe that it was Wake Forest. I think that would be a super fun game, just again, to see another high powered offense go against those guys. And what a fun chess match that could be um, Pittsburgh. I'd love to see Kenny Pickett go against that defense, especially if Kyle Hamilton is, is playing and back. So there, there's certainly a couple that, you know, just as a fan and, and as a fan of, of great competition, I would love to see. Uh, so I hope we get it. Hope both of these uh, teams in Notre Dame and, and maybe wake or pick continue to play at a high level. And, you know, we get to see that. Cause that'd be a lot of fun to cover. All right,
2: Eric, we, uh, we, we would look forward to that. And maybe we'll have to get you back on the podcast if there is another. Right, come on. Match up down the line. <laughs> so uh But that's all we got for you today. We really appreciate you taking some time to
1: talk to us this week and uh, enjoy the rest of the college football season. No doubt, my man. Thank you so much. Excited to, uh, to see where Notre Dame ends up. And uh, like you said, hopefully it's down in Atlanta. We can have a lot of fun. All right. Now it's time for Place Your Bets. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains?
2: This is our segment dedicated to the Degenerates. Let's make some prop bets for Notre Dame, Virginia. First one I have for us, Eric, is over under 45 and a half pass attempts for Virginia quarterback Brennan Armstrong.
0: Well, he certainly had more than that in some games. The thing that caught my attention on Monday was Brian Kelly speculating that with Brennan Armstrong playing that they may play some wildcat to make up for his rushing not being part of their rushing attack. So they may not throw as much for that reason. They almost also may not throw as much because Notre Dame is running the ball more, trying to keep Virginia's offense off the field. And so for those reasons, I'm going to go under, barely <laughs> under, but under.
2: Yeah, I, I I'm gonna go over. That's basically his average for the season. He's thrown more than 45 passes three times this year, and twice that happened in a loss. Um, I think my logic is sort of that he might scramble fewer times on his dropbacks because of the rib injury. Um, and so I think that they'll try to pass just as much as they normally do. Um, and and I, I don't know that he'll try to escape. I think he's gonna. I think because of the rib issue, he'll probably try to get rid of well, the ball. He leads quickly. them
0: and rush, rushes. Right.
2: right. Yeah. Um, so I think he's going to try and get rid of the ball quickly um, and uh, try to limit the amount of hits he takes. So I think um, that would increase the possibility of him going over that number. So I'm I'm taking over. Next one I have for us is more catches. Kevin Austin Jr. or Michael
0: Mayer? You know, I haven't seen – Virginia's defense play, but in people that play the 3-3-5, they're more concerned with the wide receivers than they are the tight ends. And it seems to give Notre Dame a better chance for a Michael Mayer mismatch uh, playing against a 3-3-5. Although when they played against Navy's defense, I even said to you in the press box, "How are, how are there not more mismatches here? Why are they not threw into mayor more. And then right then they threw to him. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. but I think, I think if I'm Virginia's defensive coordinator, I have a better plan to deal with Kevin Austin than I do Michael mayor. So I say mayor has more.
2: Yeah. The the Navy game was actually the first time this season where they both played that Kevin Austin had more catches than Michael mayor. Austin had six and mayor had four. Um, but I think getting Michael mayor involved should be a priority for Notre Dame. I, they didn't necessarily need him against Navy. They were using him some. It was mostly sort of in the short passing game and trying to get him the ball and let him run after the catch. And I think they can be um, a little bit more creative. And and I th- I guess well, it could, I could be convinced what, either way in terms of, okay, the loss of Avery Davis, does that put more pressure on Kevin Austin Jr.? Do they need to get him the ball more? Or does that open things up in the middle more for Michael Mayer? Or does it make it tougher for Michael Mayer because he doesn't have Avery Davis in the slot? So – I'm not really sure how it's going to play out, but I just be, just because of Michael Mayer's importance to the offense um, and, and he hasn't really had a big game in, in, a, in a bit, I'm going to go with Michael Mayer. Next one I have for us, Eric, is over under 209 rushing yards
0: for Notre Dame. Well, Notre Dame has only been over 181 time, and that was against North Carolina, and they had 293. Virginia gives up. 219 a game, but in their last two games combined, and that's against Georgia Tech and BYU, neither of which is one of the leaders in rushing offense, they've given up 655 yards rushing, 1,304 total yards, and 106 points. So I am going to go, be bold and go over the 209 in this game for Notre Dame's running offense. And I think it's part of their defense to run the ball to shorten the game a little bit and keep Virginia's offense off the field.
2: Yeah I'm in agreement with you there I think running the football is going to be very important for Notre Dame this game I think Virginia isn't great at stopping it um, and I think it it should be an emphasis for Notre Dame I know it's going to require some patience um, because a commitment to running the football isn't running in on first down and then say oh well that didn't work let's let's do something different Uh, you're going to have to sort of stick with it but Um, I think we've seen over the last few weeks, the more touches you give Kyron Williams, the better he's going to get a sense for what he can do in the running game. The offensive line can get into a bit of a rhythm. And I think that is going to be an important thing for Notre Dame to do on the road, a hostile environment, a Virginia team that has an explosive offense. You need to run the football. um, And I think Notre Dame is going to be committed to doing that. Next one, more rushing yards, Kyron Williams or Virginia's entire offense.
0: Well, Virginia runs for 144 uh, a game, and Kyron averages a little under 90, although he's on a tear right now. Um, Virginia's 84th in the country in rushing offense, but that's a little deceptive. They just don't want to run. They average five yards a carry. Right. So when they do choose to run, they're not bad at it. I think – I don't know. <laughs> All without, right. Without, I'm gonna... without Armstrong being at full, full go, or without a great flak jacket, I guess I'll, I'll give Kyron the edge here. I changed my mind. I was going to go with Virginia. I changed my mind.
2: I, I like seeing you struggle because that means I made a good. I made up a good bet. A tough one to choose. Um, I, I, I'm going to agree with you. I, I think uh, that Kyron Williams will have a good game. And I'm not sure that Virginia's rushing yards will increase their sort of average. I, I'm sort of intrigued by the idea of like what if they run more Wildcat than normal to try and sort of balance and and, and take some pressure off of Brennan Armstrong. Um, but I, I think I would need to see that and be proven that it, it would be a work and that would be the game plan to know. And I, and I don't I don't I don't think I mean as, as though Notre Dame has struggled at times against the run, I, I would think given if Kyle Hamilton is not playing that I think through the air is where you want, you feel the most confident in trying to beat Notre Dame. So uh, I think it's going to be an interesting, um, it'll be interesting to see what Virginia does, what sort of game plan they come up, up with to try and expose Notre Dame in the way that they think is best for them. But I, I in this, in this specific instance, I'll, I'll pick Kyron Williams to have more rushing yards to the Virginia's offense. Next one, will Notre Dame intercept a pass?
0: Notre Dame does a great job of forcing turnovers. They've got a bunch of interceptions, even without Kyle Hamilton. Um, Virginia, I think Armstrong's, or at least Virginia's passing, I, he's thrown most of the passes, has been inter- intercepted eight times. Yeah, those were uh, all him. Okay, a- and, you know, he had a couple in the BYU game. I just think Notre Dame's defensive line is such a big factor in this game, and I think they're going to rise to the occasion to force a turnover and to get some sacks. So I will say, yes, there will be a Notre Dame interception.
2: Yeah, kind of like when we saw against USC with Bo Bauer getting the interception, that was due to sort of the defensive line causing a bit of a ruckus and deflecting the pass. And so it's not just on Notre Dame's defensive backs winning one-on-one matchups to get these interceptions, but – the defensive front can can have play a role in that as well. And I think because Virginia will pass so much, that obviously that gives Notre Dame a lot of opportunities to, to make that impact. So I will predict um, Notre Dame managing to get at least one pre- intercepted pass on Saturday. And lastly, what is your final score predi- prediction for Notre Dame and Virginia?
0: Well, the last time I predicted a final score in Scott Stadium was 2015, and I was way off. That was the game where Malik Zaire breaks his ankle and Deshaun Kaiser comes in and throws that pass to Will Fuller right at the end of the game with the sad Virginia fan hanging over the wall after that touchdown. That was a much closer game than we anticipated. And so having said that, I guess I'm setting it up saying, don't go to the betting parlors with my (laughs) prediction I'm saying Notre Dame, 45, Virginia, 34.
2: All right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think if anyone will, will, will be predicting a high scoring game in this one. I went with Notre Dame, 41, Virginia, 37. I, I thought long and hard about predicting Virginia to win, but I just can't get myself to do that with the question mark of Brennan Armstrong. I, I'm, I am concerned about what Virginia is going to be able to do against Notre Dame's defense. Notre Dame's defense just keeps taking blows and, um, if Kyle Hamilton isn't back there, I think um, this this may be, I mean, it seems kind of strange to say that, but it, but I think this could be an even tougher test than the North Carolina game. Um, so I think uh, I'm very fascinated to see how this game plays out, but I will pick a four-point victory for Notre Dame. All right, now it's time for questions.
0: Just tell me when you guys, are we done with USC? Everybody's done. You guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right. Let's go.
2: You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at T. James NDI and Eric's at E. Hansen NDI. First one I have is from Brian Swint at Brian Swint. Which would be more important for a win this week versus Virginia? Notre Dame's offense plays like it did against UNC, or Notre Dame's defense plays as well as it did
0: against Navy? Yeah, I wasn't sure if he meant in the big picture or for this game, in particular. I think he means just for to beat Virginia on on this Saturday. So I'm going to say Notre Dame's offense playing at its max efficiency. I think the defense can play enough to, you know, if they play the way they did against North Carolina, that's going to be enough where they have a couple of key stops and just have the offense keep scoring and put the pressure on Virginia and have Virginia having to play from behind. I think that's my vote.
2: Yeah, I, I, it, it's tough to compare Notre Dame's defensive effort against Navy to what they're going to have to do against Virginia because it's not going to be sort of in any similar. Like what what allowed them to be good against Navy probably is going to have very little correlation of what they're going to need to do to, to beat Virginia. Her um, Heinisch
0: won't have ten tackles. <laughs>
2: no, and I don't, I don't, I and mean, I don't think Notre Dame's defense can play to that level against this Virginia offense. So, even a good Notre Dame defensive performance relatively would result in Virginia scoring more more points and probably a a good amount more points than Navy did so I'm going with Notre Dame's offense firing on all cylinders as most important because I think it will it is what is required Notre Dame needs to keep the score up to take some of the pressure off of its defense Um, and so I think Notre Dame's offense will, will be the most important part about winning this game. Next question is from Cheryl Russo at Cheryl R. bunch of numbers. Can ND stop Virginia's passing attack by blitzing?
0: I don't think anybody stops it. And I I realize that's not what Cheryl meant. She meant slowing it down or, and and giving it some challenges. Right. I I think the pass rush is going to be so important in this game. You look back at. The Wake Forest game, which Virginia only scored 17 points against Wake Forest, which is stunning given a, given what Wake Forest has given up to other people. But they sacked the quarterback six times in that game and forced a turnover, forced an interception. Miami, in a, in a 59-30 Miami win, four sacks for 20 yards. And in the Louisville game, which was a one-point Virginia victory and was played 34-33, they had five sacks and, and put a lot of pressure and turned the ball. Again, got got Armstrong to turn the ball over. Um, So I don't know that Notre Dame needs to do a lot of blitzing. I think selective blitzing because I think um Isaiah Foskey is going to get his sacks. I think the interior guys are good at getting push up the middle. Mar- Myron is not great at getting sacks, but he's good at getting hurries. And that's this the whole reason I asked about Jordan Batello on Monday. You know, I've noticed him in the past couple of games in the third down package and he is in limited snaps a very effective pass rusher. I've kind of been advocating for them to play Foskey and Batello together rather than one or the other in pass rush situations. I think Batello is going to factor into this game. So I don't know if I answered your question, Cheryl, but that's how I see it. I think pass rush is very important. And if Notre Dame is going to win this game, that's going to be one of the storylines.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's just sort of like saying blitz Brandon Armstrong, I think probably is too s- simple. Um, it's it's more it's more complicated than that. I think Brandon Armstrong is a good enough quarterback and a smart enough quarterback that he will get rid of the ball quickly if he knows the blitz is coming. Um, and I think he trusts his receivers to make plays – and make plays after the catch. So throwing it short and get rid of it. Quit is not something that Virginia is afraid of doing. Um, so I think it's probably going to be more important to get pressure with four and be sound in coverage. Um, and, and Notre Dame needs to sort of limit the one-on-one matchups in the secondary with this defensive back. So I think trying to strike the right balance with that, obviously you're going to have to blitz sometimes, but I don't think that will be the primary um, way of, of sort of limiting Virginia's offense. Next question is from Michael Kenny at Domer 747. Will you elaborate on what Brian Kelly said in his press conference Monday about the defensive schemes moving forward? With so many injuries and fatigue setting in, what does Notre Dame do?
0: I'll try to elaborate. I mean, he was asked about red zone defense, which they've been good at, and I asked him about Botello. I'm not sure that we asked them about changing schemes. You know, there's a question about Kaiser being able to play safety and such. I think what, so let me answer the question that I don't think was asked Brian Kelly. I don't think there's anything they do differently schematically to try to uh, deal with the injuries. I think they're developing players that they are counting on maybe for these last three regular season games in a bowl game. And we started to see those guys surface in the Navy game. Now, again, Virginia is a completely different offensive system. So we'll see if they can be productive if they get uh, time in this game. But I do think Xavier Watts is a guy that could possibly help Notre Dame in the back end of its defense. I think Prince Collie could maybe spell J.D. Bertrand, uh, maybe in the Georgia Tech and Stanford games if he keeps progressing. Uh, Kia, Kahanu Kia got four tackles in that game, um, and I think he's a guy that maybe could help them with some pass rush. He's very undersized. So they have some answers there, but they cannot afford too many more injuries at certain position groups you know the one thing they have a surplus is cornerbacks but you can't put them at linebacker <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah and they don't trust a ton of them either they have a certain amount yeah. that they trust they got a lot of guys that they're not they're not playing uh, yeah I, I was I'm not exactly sure what Michael was referencing if there was a specific topic that from the press conference that he was intrigued by um, I'll, I'll elaborate on the red zone defense stuff that Brian Kelly did talk about um, and he credited disguising their coverages and stopping the run for the success that Notre Dame has had in red zone defense. He, Brian Kelly talked about uh, he also talked about d- the difficulty of defending Virginia's offense um, because it's not catered to one go-to wide receiver. They have playmakers all over, which you know, includes Brent Armstrong, a quarterback. Um, so I, we, I, I don't know. He didn't necessarily like hand the game plan over to us in the press conference yesterday of what they're going to do. I think my guess will be that Notre Dame is going to mix things up and try to be unpredictable to challenge Brennan Armstrong. Um, and like I said in the previous question, I think they're going to rely on on their front four to create pressure and, and try to keep everything in front of them. Next question is from at Buster Biven. Do you think Xavier Watts can join the safety rotation before the end of the season?
0: I do. Um, I think there's that opportunity there. And and I think what's held him back was they first kind of moved him to Rover. And then also, I think what's held him back is some soft tissue injuries that have limited his practice reps. But, um, you know, I, I think he was a standout defensive player in high school. He's got the athleticism. I think he's got the football IQ. And he certainly seems better than some of the other players, whether it's their youth or whether they're just haven't been able to get on the field and be productive. I think there's a clear lane for him to earn some playing time.
2: Yeah. I think the opportunities there, I'm I'm not sure to what extent he will be utilized. I, I think certainly what he was asked to do against Navy was very specific Um, And it was sort of similar to the role that Jack Kaiser was playing. Right. And so that sort of aligns with, I mean, if Jack, obviously Jack Kaiser is a good athlete too, but that's sort of, I would say probably more similar to the Rover responsibilities than like the normal safety responsibilities would be. I mean, it's sort of a different place, but they're sort of running down the football. That's what they're asked to do. They're not as concerned about coverage as much. Um, So that is where I'm not sure. Especially against Virginia. Okay. What, what, can, what, where is the comfort level in what Xavier Watts can do um, against Virginia against a team that's going to throw the ball over the place? Um, I think they're, so I think they're going to probably limit his exposure in those situations, unless he's come farther along in that than I am aware of. And they just have yet to sort of need him. And now they feel like they do need him. Need him, need him. Um, so Brian Kelly did say, on Monday that he expects that Xavier Watts will play a role in Notre Dame's success this weekend. So I'm not exactly sure what that means, um, but I'm curious to find out going to fly the plane. <laughs> Next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. What grade would you give? Uh, so she has a number of questions here. So let's, let's take this one at a time. What grade would you give the offensive game plan against Navy?
0: Well, I'm not good at, um, letter grades. I've mentioned that before. I'll say a B because there were some sputters and there are some really impressive surges in that game. Uh, so so B is my letter grade.
2: Yeah, I went with B as well. I, I liked that the game plan was sort of centered around getting the ball in the hands of playmakers like Kyron Williams and Kevin Austin. Um, I think there could have been a better plan for Michael Mayer, um, but I thought even though the, they started a bit s- slow in terms of being able to put points on the board. Um, I didn't think that was necessarily the fault of the game plan. So I, I don't want to ding them too much for that. So I, I went with a B for the grade. Next question for Marie was, should there have been more tempo in attacking the middle of the field?
0: Well, I certainly say more attacking the middle of the field um, because I think Michael Mayer could have, been able to get some of those catches as I was watching the game. Um, should there have been more tempo? I'm not sure against Navy that that's what you wanted. Um, especially if you're confident you're going to be able to get a lead on them and then you kind of want to sit on the lead and limit their possessions a little bit. Uh, so I was okay with that part of it.
2: Yeah, I, I Navy was dropping sometimes eight in coverage. Um, and so I think that limited Notre Dame's opportunities in the middle of the field with, with so many linebackers sort of clogging up the, the middle of the field there. So I think that was what maybe made it a little bit tougher for Notre Dame to attack that part of the field. And the tempo stuff, I, I think there are some opportunities that they may have been able to utilize it better. There are some opportunities where I don't think it was necessary. So I think it's probably a mixed bag on the tempo front. Um, next question for Marie, should Tyler Buckner have come in earlier?
0: I saw that opportunity earlier. I would have had had Brian Kelly called up to the press box and consulted me. I would have said, put Buckner in here. Um, So I was a little surprised he didn't play earlier. And then when he did come in, you know, they really moved the ball well in that um, drive. So, yes, I would agree with you there, Murray.
2: Yeah, I thought maybe after the first deep catch by Austin, which was the drive before that, where they got inside the red zone. Um, But Notre Dame, immediately after that they sort of ran up, up tempo to get to the ball. I think one to maybe make sure that it it didn't get reviewed and also maybe try to get Navy off guard. And then Braden Lindsay blocks a guy in the back and it sort of derails the drive. So um, to me, that would have been the best opportunity for him to get in there. But after that first down play, I don't know that you want to get him in there when it's first and 20. Um, So, I, I the Buckner stuff is hard. To, uh, it's hard to figure out. I think like when the, when it when Jack Cohn's struggling, everyone's like get Tyler Buckner in there. But then when you bring Tyler Buckner in there and he doesn't do well, it's like well why'd you go to Tyler Buckner? So I I do not envy the the sort of balancing act. I cheered
0: him though. You pointed that out when he yeah. did come in.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and that I, I, that I probably I wouldn't have started the drive with Jack Cohn to throw a, a a check down to Karen Williams and then brought him in. I probably would have started the drive with Buckner, but. Um, then the last question from Marie, uh, the Notre Dame defense has a tendency to start slow. Is there a way to combat that with play calling?
0: Notre Dame offense starting slow, or did she say defense? Um, offense. I don't know if I misspoke, but offense. I think you – yeah, it's offense. You know, Marie is very observant because it's not something that I really, really jumped out at me, and then I looked at their score by quarters – and they've scored 28 points in the first quarter, then 88, 63, and 113. So it's not even close to any other quarter that, that it's the slowest. Um, and why that's happening, I think one of the reasons it's happening is because Virginia is the sixth team in 10 games in which Notre Dame has played a team with a bye week ahead of it. And you can make it seven teams with Florida State being a little bit of a blind date, not knowing you know, what Florida State was going to do offensively and who, were they, who they were going to play a quarterback. And I think that first period of adjustment of seeing some defensive fronts and, and coverages that you haven't seen in any other game, I think there's a little bit of a feeling out process. I, I'm not blaming it all on that, but I do think that's a factor what could they do to alleviate that Um, play teams that don't have bye weeks Now, I would say some of it is in the scripting of the first, first drive Um, and maybe seeing a little bit of Buckner earlier might give them a spark, but uh, that was a good question. Yeah. I, I,
2: I, I, to sort of, Gauge my answer to this question, I sort of like looked at the last three games because I feel like that's when Notre Dame sort of figured out what it wants to be offensively. Um, And and so USC, I I wouldn't describe their start as slow. They missed a field goal at the end of the first drive and scored a touchdown on their second drive. Um, The North Carolina game, the first drive wasn't great, ended at midfield, and then they scored a touchdown on their second drive. And now, by any definition, Notre Dame started slow against Navy. But um, I think it's not always – Necessarily, play calling the execution sort of is, can be at fault sometimes too. I, against Navy, Josh lug fall starts in the very first play, so you're dealing with first and fifteen to start your first drive, um, and then Navy is able to drop eight on an eight on a third and eight. Um, the second drive, um, I thought, wasn't terrible play calling on third and four. You you get Kyron Williams the ball, one of your best players he has a one-on-one situation and he doesn't make the guy miss and, and Navy stops him on the third drive Thought they moved the ball well. Um, and then the, f- the fourth down play I think was on Jack Cohen. He didn't get rid of the ball quick enough. They blitzed the corner. So I, I think it's easy to sort of in retrospect, say, well, the play calling could have been better because we didn't get points, but I, I don't, I don't think it's always that simple. I think there's a lot of things that goes into whether or not the play call was good or not. And, and it could be dependent on, on uh on um, the execution as well. Now, certainly there was room for improvement there. We gave Tommy Reese bees for the play calling against Navy, but I don't, it's not always just as simple as like, we'll call these plays instead because they could have been good play calls if they would have worked. (laughs) Um, But then when they don't work, they're all of a sudden bad play calls. So I think sort of boiling down the issue to play calling, I think is way more complicated than many people give it credit for. Next question is from at ND burner. How does Avery Davis's absence affect the offense? And with Avery Davis being out for the year, what can we possibly expect from Lorenzo Styles and Deion Colsey
0: being incorporated into the offense with such a thin wide receiver room? With him out, you lose reliability, you lose consistency and you lose leadership. Um, when you, you know need a big third down play. I think Michael Mayer gets a lot of those, but I think Avery, over the season has had a lot of those too, where you know that he's going to run the right route he's going to get open and he's going to catch the ball if you throw it to him um so you're going to miss that how will this affect styles and colsey i think those guys are ready for their opportunity um and i think they're going to take advantage of it especially styles but i think colsey also um so this is a big moment for them and uh you know, I think it's going to be, you know, had this happened earlier in the year, I think Notre Dame would have been in a little bit more difficult situation. Uh, maybe Xavier Watts doesn't flip at that point but uh, to defense, but I think um, those guys will handle it really well.
2: Yeah, I think Avery Davis has been sort of chronically underappreciated. Uh, I think he was sort of the steadiest receiver they had. Um, he was trusted. And now I do think Jack Cohn trusts Lorenzo styles and they've spoken to that before this week of that. They worked a lot together. They sort of came in at the same time um, in mid year um, and were able to sort of get on the same page then. So I think Lorenzo styles will be much more present in the offense and become more of a regular than a rotational piece. Deion Colsey's role will increase slightly too. I think, we even saw against Navy that they wanted to get him more involved, and he was involved in the offense earlier than he had been. And they were sort of trying to stretch the defense a little with him down the field too. Um, I, I think overall it's going to be a, a mixing and matching of, of personnel to sort of make up for the absence of Avery Davis. I don't think they're just going to say, okay, Lorenzo Styles, go be Avery Davis. I think there's going to be a, a number of different ways they're going to try to do things to to make up for for not having him. Next question is from at Bobby Bancroft. Why isn't Chris Tyree moving into the slot? Is the injury a factor?
0: When I asked Brian Kelly that question on Monday, I'm not sure that he wanted to tip his hand completely. So I'm not sure that he gave us the complete picture of what that's going to look like. But let's assume the picture that he painted is completely accurate. I I think that Notre Dame doesn't want to lock itself into... One person in particular, you know, his thought was that Lorenzo Styles would handle most of the um slot receiver duties. They've had their running backs in that slot a lot. And I'll tell you what, Kyron is really good there. So I'm I'm not sure you want to lose that flexibility and just commit Chris to be that guy in the slot. I know I remember talking to Chris before he came to Notre Dame, and when he was in high school, they had so many good running backs at his high school that he had to play slot as a freshman. Uh, So he's good at it, and and maybe that's that's uh, something his you know turf toe will respond better to than being a running back with as many carries. Logan Diggs seems to be a really good sidekick for Kyron Williams right now. So my answer, my muddled answer is I wouldn't write off that he's going to play some slot, but I don't think it's a deficiency on Chris Tyree as much as Notre Dame wants to be multiple in their personnel groups, multiple in their formations, and they're going to not close any doors to doing that.
2: That's interesting that you said that about Brian Keller's answer because I didn't I didn't read that at all. I thought it was a pretty detailed answer. it to me, like if he was bluffing i think he did a pretty good job of it because i was like well he said well we're gonna use lorenzo styles and then we're gonna move kevin austin over to (laughs) to the x sometimes and so i I was like well it sounds like a pretty thought out plan so I, i i and i don't think he ruled out playing chris tyree i mean he left it open like we're gonna play chris tyree we're gonna play kyron williams we're gonna use michael Mayer differently they're gonna do a number of different things now he's obviously not gonna tell us everything they're gonna do um but i i i don't think that I don't think it would be wise to to replace Avery Davis one-for-one one with Chris Tyree. I'm not sure that that would, that would be the most successful way to do things. I imagine the injury is playing some factor into what they're thinking about. Brian Kelly spoke to how they have been dealing with that injury, and they, both the coaching staff and Chris Tyree gained some confidence with the specific play that Chris Tyree was able to make in terms of blocking a, a blitzer um, to have some confidence in it, in his foot. Um, but I don't think they want to overwork him. Um, and uh, but I think that that could also lend to him being used in the slot more than running back. I would I wouldn't be surprised if he's used more in the slot than at running back, just because I think Kyron Williams and Logan Diggs have been have shown themselves. Obviously, Kyron Williams, but Logan Diggs especially have shown himself to be proficient back there. And uh, they don't necessarily need to use Chris Tyree all the time as the number two running back. Next question is from Burt Leonard at Burt2834. With the lack of wide receiver depth due to injuries, will Matt Salerno catch a pass this week or season?
0: Um, I don't think he will catch a pass in the Virginia game. I do think he'll catch a pass this season. Um, In the practice footage that we saw, and even sometimes in the practices that we saw, he's a better wide receiver than a lot of people think. Um and I could see him getting an opportunity. He's I mean he fair catches the ball very well on punt returns, but he catches the ball well moving and and, and so forth. So yeah, I think he'll get involved and he's another backstop to what they're doing at the slot receiver position. Um so I like Matt Salerno. I I give him a vote to get at least a catch over the balance of the season.
2: Yeah. I, I was a little surprised that Brian Kelly didn't mention him yesterday when he was going through the different options that I was talking about. Um, we haven't seen a lot of Matt this season, even as a returner um, with, with Chris Tyree and Kyron Williams taking over those roles. Um, so I, I, I don't know if the confidence in him has Wayne, for some reason, uh, but I think Kyron he, demanded to be the punt returner. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand that. But it's like, well, sometimes you can probably give him a break every
0: once in a while. Like, uh, I, I, I don't know. Um, Kyron overruled the injury tent people in one game, according to him. <laughs> <laughs>
2: sure, sure. But yeah, but even when they're down Chris Tyree, they're still running Kyron Williams back there as the, the starting punt returner. I think it's 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 been interesting to see that. Um, so, so I, I get, the reason I brought that up. is like, I, I'm just not exactly sure where they're at with Matt Salerno right now. So I don't feel confident enough in predicting that he will get a catch this season. Um, not that I don't think he's not talented enough. Wapu
0: nation's going to come after you. Tyler.
2: <laughs> hey, I'm not the one, I'm not the one putting him in or not. I, I'm, I'm just telling you what I've seen from the coaches so far. Next question is from Tim at Doman Golder. Do you guys think Michael Mayer has lived up to his lofty preseason expectations? Maybe they were unrealistically high to begin
0: with. Okay. The last time I got a question like this, I reacted poorly, and the person has not asked another question since. (laughs) All right, be careful. I'm going to try to be very diplomatic. I'm not sure what your expectations were, but let me tell you what Michael Mayer has done this year. He is semifinals for the Mackey Award. That's eight guys. So he's considered one of the top eight tight ends in the country. He right now has 45 catches, including missing a game. And that's the sixth most in Notre Dame history in a season if he stays on his pace of 5.6 catches per game, he will break the record, the single season record, for catches in a season by four over Tyler Eifert in 2011. Um, He's in the top five among tight ends in catches in the country. And he's played with a bad adductor strain for half the season. So if he is underperforming, uh, I <laughs> I think that we need to go out and have a beer together and discuss this further. How's that for being diplomatic?
2: Yeah. I, I would say if if you think Michael Mayer is underperforming, I don't want you to be my boss. <laughs> that's that's how I would look at it because Michael Mayer is doing a pretty good job. Now it, in a, you mentioned he's top five for tight ends in the country and, He's fourth in receptions per game, right? Tight ends, and he's fifth in receiving yards. So it's not like he's just getting four. Like he's not getting right. catches; and they're not going anywhere. The, the, the yardage is there as well. His so percentage of first downs is stunning. He he's he's stacking up. I mean, I, I guess I think it's twenty eight out of the
0: forty five catches have been for first downs.
2: Right, and and so the the context of how he fits in against the best tight ends of the country matters. I, I certainly would have. Predicted and we did predict that he'd catch more touchdown passes than he has. Um, but other than that, I think he's been pretty much as advertised. I think his blocking has improved. I think the hip injury that you mentioned is important that uh, I'm sure that has limited him in some way. And we haven't really necessarily seen it um, limit him. Necess- I mean, you wouldn't necessarily have known. I mean, when he was limping at the end of the Cincinnati game, we didn't know that he, that was an issue before then. Um, so I think that he's had a pretty good season, a heck of a season. Um, and I think. I, I don't know, maybe just the, the performance against Navy brought this out. Uh, like, I, I, he didn't have a great game. and I don't think it was necessarily his fault. Um, I think they need to – I think I mentioned this earlier, that they shouldn't limit him to short passes. They need to find ways to push the ball on the field with him in some ways. And, and I think there, th- those opportunities should only increase with the loss of Avery Davis. So, um, <laughs> Michael Mayer is a pretty dang good college football player, um, and he's certainly one of the best tight ends in the country. Next question is from Baba Ganoush at PLACT underscore ITFDB. If Kyle Hamilton decides to sit out the remainder of the season, would this take him out of the running for the postseason awards and All American status? Doesn't a player have to earn consensus All American status to be considered
0: for the College Football Hall of Fame? Okay. As far as this season and awards, playing six and a quarter games. I don't think we'll eliminate him from being a finalist or semi-finalist for some of these things. I think it will be difficult to earn All-America status and win those awards that he might have otherwise won just because you don't have the volume, even though the quality is there. As far as the College Football Hall of Fame, you don't have to be a consensus All-American. What you have to do is be a first-team All-American by one of the five organizations that make up the consensus group. So those five are AP, American Football Coaches Association, the Football Writers, Sporting News, and the Walter Camp uh, All-America teams. In 2020, um, Kyle Hamilton was a Football Writers Association first team All-American. So he already has that in his back pocket. So he doesn't need it this year. So he could be in the college football hall of fame. Yeah.
2: And he, he, for these all American teams this year, he's going to get the benefit of the doubt um, because he's, if someone hasn't watched a ton of college football, they're probably going to still have seen Kyle Hamilton or watched beyond like the beat that they're, that they cover. Um, They're going to have seen Kyle Hamilton highlights and they're going to look at any of the pro lists and see him listed as one of the top prospects in the country. So he's going to get the benefit of the doubt. And also, sort of a peek behind the curtain the football riders of association america are all american ballots for defense are due this friday i believe so we'll at most know that he's only missed two plus games by the time we'll have filed our vote so i don't know that the potential that he might not play another game this season will be held against him because there's that uncertainty we don't we don't know that for certain yet um so i don't i don't think that I, I think it probably will hurt him when it comes to the awards because that is much a more like slower process. It's like, well, he can be a semifinalist and then maybe he doesn't become a finalist because that's when the difference is made. And he hasn't played since then. Um, So I think the awards will be tougher for him to win. But I I think the All-American status, I imagine he's probably still going to clean up on the All-American stuff.
0: Right. I'll give you a comparison. Drake London got hurt a game or two later for USC wide receiver. Who everybody remembers from the USC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I voted for him on my Bolitnikov semifinalist ballot ballot. Now, will I vote him for the Bolitnikoff winner? I'm not sure, but but he was good enough for me. Him being injured at this point wasn't a factor in me putting him on the semifinal ballot. And you have you've beat me. In the process, I have not done my Blinnikov voting yet. <laughs> uh, next, we'll just qu- go on Notre Dame's opponents. I mean, <laughs>
1: right, yeah, no have
2: seen that. plenty of the candidates, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, next question is from Flanner Jim Rat at Flanner Jim, wondering if you think Kurt Heinish might be playing his way into the league. Seem- seems like he's done a lot more than plug gaps this year. Well,
0: from From a pro-future standpoint, I think he's helped himself by coming back this year. Now, to what extent? You know, we had Dane Brugler on from The Athletic. It wasn't a conversation we got into with Kurt. You know, my sense is he's not a guy that would probably get drafted, but he would go into a camp as a preferred free agent, and he would probably make a um, practice squad or, you know, be on a team just because he would overachieve like he always does. So uh, that's kind of my take on it.
2: Yeah, I don't know that he – because of his sort of measurables, I don't know that he's going to get, like, the benefit of the doubt as much as he could um, if he were a sort of more of a prototypical size-wise. So he's probably a fringe draft player. But I think he certainly has the drive, the tenacity. He's strong. Um, and I bet someone gives him a chance, and like you said, I imagine he'd probably impress once he gets in a camp, camp setting. So I don't know what that means for, like, sustaining any sort of career, but I think uh, I wouldn't necessarily want to be the one ruling Kurt Heinish out. Next question is from Chino at D underscore radio guy. If you could name a bowl game, what would it be? And he offered a suggestion, a battle of two teams whose coaches are both on the hot seat, going into the end of the season should be the life alert bowl.
0: You know, I think it's hard to, um, overcome these two, The and, and this one doesn't exist anymore. At least the first part of it, the bad boy, uh, <laughs> motors gas mowers, Gasparilla bowl, um, <laughs> is one of my favorites and the pool and weed eater independence bowl. There was never a more apt sponsor uh for a bowl game um you know i'm just so immature that this exercise took me into the bathroom humor <laughs> stuff so i'm going to just pass on on that and let tyler be the creative one here
2: oh man we couldn't even get we couldn't even get him out of the gutter for this one question about bowl well i had dude wipes bowl and <laughs> tidy bowl <laughs> uh so here was my suggestion and it's probably it's pretty cheesy i would say but i said there should be a chicken soup bowl played in the old cotton bowl and joe montana has to do the coin toss before every game and uh i guess for your uh, allegiances to the bowl maybe it's a i mean maybe it's a ac now and then becomes a big 12 <laughs> allegiance when he because of houston which is who Notre Dame played in the chicken soup game and then you have an independent so that's that's my uh Cheesy idea for a bowl game that I thought would uh, appease to Notre Dame fans. So maybe I did a better job uh, sucking up than than Eric did. <laughs> Next and last question we have is from Douglas McAnally or McAnally. I'm not sure. He tried to tell me how to pronounce his name, and I, I always struggle with reading it versus hearing it. So I need to I need to give him to send me a sound a sound of it. So Douglas McAnally. Ask Notre Dame wins out the rest of November. Where is the next game you're covering the Irish, and who are they playing?
0: I I think they'll end up in the Peach Bowl. It's going to be really interesting to see the college football playoff rankings, to see if they're ahead of Michigan and Michigan State or not. They are in the other polls, um, but I think it'll be the Peach Bowl, and it'll be against the ACC champ. And as we mentioned with Eric McClain, that could be one of six teams, um, including Virginia. Uh, My sense is, he said, I think he liked NC State and Pitt. I'm going to go with Clemson to get there. I think they'll play Clemson in the Peach Bowl. Clemson has one ACC game left, and it's against Wake. And if Wake... Loses to NC State, then I think they're in a three way tie. And I didn't investigate the tiebreakers. <laughs> There's also a chance that Miami, Pitt, and Virginia all end up in a three way tie. Yeah. And they would all have beaten one of the other teams. So.
2: You didn't, you didn't memorize the ACC tiebreakers last year when Notre Dame was in. There.
0: I, I did last year. I had it memorized. I, it's, you know, I have to get rid of that. It's like deleting files on your computer so you don't overwork your hard drive. You flush that out.
2: Yeah. So I, I had the same destination, the Peach Bowl, and I, I just guessed Wake Forest. I'm not, I'm not like, I don't have a great conviction on that being the team that it would end up being for, for our sake. I hope it's not a team that Notre Dame has already played. Like, I don't really want to see them play Virginia again. Um, whether or not
0: Wake's got a tough road left,
2: right? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be easy for Wake to get there. But that was
0: that was who N- I'll, I'll, I'll put NC it State, then at Clemson, then at Boston College with Phil Jakovic.
2: Yep, it uh, the ACC is is certainly wild. I uh, uh, was glad to get Eric McLean's uh, perspective on that as well. That's it for today's episode of Pot of Gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, shoot us some stars and leave a review. We'll be back next week with a Virginia review and a Georgia Tech preview. Until then, stick with indieinsider.com for your Notre Dame football pregame and postgame coverage needs.